answer that question about do you believe do you believe your brother is alive and and, and if you could touch on that and we're talking about Adam Walsh John Walsh um, uh, who um, who has put together the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um, this is his daughter Megan Walsh and she's exposing the falsity behind all of this and what her own father and mother has done to her and her children um, and that nobody is exempt from being abused by this system for rich disabled not disabled you name it wealthy democrat republican it doesn't matter your social economic your 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 any anything nothing matters you will be exposed to this at some point your neighbor somebody that you love will be harmed by this system if we don't fight together megan go ahead absolutely um, and going back, well, to, my, to address the question first with my brother, and today we're kind of just giving an overview, so we will be a little all over the place for the viewers, but, um, you know, that's that's the nature of, of talking and coming together. But, um, I, and, and, you know, it's maybe not the answer that everyone wants, um, and but I really do try to stick to the truth and facts and things that we can see and delineate and prove. Um, I will say that he's either dead or alive. I I that's still up in the air, to be honest. Uh, right days after they took my children, I received a, a, a voicemail, excuse me, saying, hi, sis, it's Adam. I'm coming home after a long time. I arrive in Hollywood uh, tomorrow morning. I'll talk to you soon. And so I, uh, you know, of course, through my different team and my friends and things like that, that I already had a volunteer researcher. We reached out to this person um, who I have been in contact with and they do say that they are Adam Walsh. This also involves Johnny Gosh. If people remember the Johnny Gosh story, um, excuse me, Johnny Gosh, people say it differently. Um, but this also involves Johnny Gosh and, and Noreen Gosh and, and, um, and the adoption system. I mean, we found, uh, we found forms that are the Adam Walsh requirements and forms for adoption, interstate, out-of-state, and international adoption. And I don't know what my brother has to do with adoption or child abuse, but we see this, this kid business becoming a monopoly and through the National Center for Missing Exploited Children mainly um, being the one to be enabling and doing that. Um, I did meet the person saying that they are Adam. People will say, oh, you can just do a DNA test. And unfortunately, with my father's connections, um, these are three-letter agencies we're talking about, my father's connections. These are presidents. These are global connections as well. Um, and royalty. So that is not as easy. Um, and we have tried. Um, I can expand on that at a different time. And, um, you know, I do have a Twitter where we're exposing everything. But my brother could possibly be alive. This person could be him or not. He does know things uh, that others would not know that was not public knowledge. And, uh, and obviously, there's a reason. Where's the national headline, Francesca, saying John Walsh had to save his grandchildren from his crazy daughter, even? I mean, where's right, he exactly. So I think the silence and he's been in hiding and he will not he's been told not to speak with me while he harbors my children and psychologically abuses them. He is abusing them. He is buying them. My mother, my mother has been my true abuser my entire life. He's an enabler um, and abuses in his own way. But they are absolutely abusing my children and psychologically abusing them, which, you know, is a whole topic for another time, how that happens. Hello and welcome back. This is episode number eight. Of waking up with Mel. Today we're going to talk about kidnapping because I will never forget 
And by the way, I started with Megan Walsh, and I will put the link to that whole episode below my in my description box. But I started out with her because right now, 2022, her dad is trying to kidnap her children through the court system, and she is exposing a ton of stuff. And her brother, Adam, who she talked about just in the intro there, changed my life. And why is that? It's because they decided to do, and let me stop right here. When anybody decides to do a program about a kidnapped child, you got to question why, because there's so many kids, 800,000 kids go kidnapped. Do you know how many movies we should have? But why do they put one out? It's interesting to me. And I think I've come to the conclusion it's to program us in fear because I don't even think what happened to Adam happened. I really don't. The mom was evil and is, she's still alive. And so is the dad and John Walsh, who I admired for years. I thought he would, he was my hero. I used to watch America's most wanted, like the second it came on, you know, there, there wasn't TiVo and all the, is TiVo even a thing anymore? There wasn't where you could just get it on demand whenever you wanted it. You had to watch and I was, I was a tune in John Walsh, Americans must want it. He's going to get the people person. And now I look back and I'm like, ugh, he's just one of them. And it all makes sense. So Adam, that movie came out on TV and it was for all to see. And my mom wanted me to see it because she wanted me not to get kidnapped. And I don't blame her. I don't ever, I can't even imagine what parents go through that, that lose their children. I've lost a dog before for two weeks and it was horrible. I can't imagine what 800,000 parents go through. I really, really can't. And the fact is, is this goes so deep that it's going to have to be several episodes, probably about each individual child that I might mention today. But today we're going to just start with my story, John Walsh, Adam, and we'll see where this leads us because we're already getting deep into this, right? So Adam comes out, my mom makes me watch it. I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, this guy just took this kid out of a, a store while his mom's there. And you got to remember back then is the eighties and no one locked their doors hardly. Like we had so much trust in each other, which is so crazy to think that from what civilization to the 18 and 1900s, people had trust still. I mean, my poor child does not live anywhere near the life that I used to live. And it's so sad and I hope it changes because, yeah, anyways. So we didn't lock our doors. We didn't, you know, do any of that stuff until I was in my, I don't know, teenage years. And when Adam came out, I remember thinking, there's bad people that will try to kill me. And my mom said, if anybody tries to say, hey, I have a puppy, come to my car, don't go. If anybody tries to offer you candy, don't go. So, like, she put this, like, instinct in me, like, people are evil and I could be kidnapped. Because before that, I didn't have that. Like, I trusted everyone I met. And honestly, to this day, I have the worst radar of who's good, who's bad. I really do. And when I see bad people, I'm all, wow, like, find out they're really bad. I would have never known. I'm horrible at that. Yeah, so got to get better at that. 
Lord help me with that. So eighth grade comes for me and I decided to ride the school bus home with my friend because I didn't get to do that. My house was too close. So I decided I'm going to ride the school bus home with you further away from my house and walk home. And so to do this from her house to mine, I had to walk on this canal. And if you've never lived or been near a canal, I lived in Boise, Idaho. My house backed up to one. It was called the New York Canal. And everyone knew to stay out of it when it was full because it would you couldn't get out. It's concrete walls. But in the, in the winter or the months it was not full, it was a blast to play in. And unlike New Mexico where I live now, we have what's called arroyos. I can never say that right, but I think I just did. They fill up with water when it rains, and they're very dangerous because it's like a, a flash flood. You're like gonzo. Same type of thing, though, cement walls. It's funny that I've lived in two states with those type of uh, canals or arroyos or whatever. Anyways, they're different. And here in New Mexico, I've never played in an arroyo because I know that if it rained, I could get washed up immediately. But in the New York Canal, I'd play in that sucker all the time. So <clears throat> I'm walking home. I knew this path. I knew that there was a hole in this fence because you weren't supposed to play up there. It was, you know, only for service worker people that worked on the canal. But kids in the neighborhood, we always cut uh, holes in the gates that they put at the end of our dead-end cul-de-sac. And we would always play up there because it was like an extra part to our dead-end. And so I'm walking home and it's 19, I know the exact time now, it's in, during the LA riots. And the only reason I know this, and I hope nobody takes this as racist because I've always seen people as people I've never seen them in color, but this particular time, cause they've always programmed us to vis visualize people in color, black versus white. Um, the LA riots were happening, probably another agenda that I should look into. Um, and there was a black man at the end of the the road and I said oh look LA right I don't know I just thought Rodney King for some reason and I jumped the fence and I keep on going my life I didn't think much about it besides LA that's all I thought which is kind of interesting now that I'm saying that out loud anyways so I keep going and I had to pee so I'm walking real slow and I'm looking at butterflies and the weeds are growing kind of big in the middle of the service road you know the top of the canal area where the trucks drive and um I'm checking out these butterflies and trying not to pee my pants. And I look behind me, and the man that was at the bottom of the road, mean, I, I forgot to mention this. I had to jump a fence to get to this road I was walking on. So the man at the bottom of the road had to have seen me jump this fence to this canal road. Well, all of, all of a sudden, he's behind me. So that meant, in my mind, this man ran to get to me, you know. And I'm like, oh. Like my radar went up and I'm in eighth grade and I'm like, wow, why is he behind me? And then all of a sudden he asked me a question that was stupid. It was where I, he asked me if I knew where so-and-so lived and it, it sent that, that training my mom had given me. So, you know, Adam saved my life, I guess in a way. Uh, she said, if anybody asks you a question or they chase you or whatever, you scream as top, as loud as you can. Well, here's the thing is this guy didn't know I was right where I needed to be to get to my house. And there was a hole at the bottom of this little area we were at to, for me to get through this gate. I think he thought he had me trapped. Oh, I hate to think what would have happened to me. Two, my mom was home. 
So I said, what? Because that was the first instinct I had when he said, do you know where so-and-so lives? I said, what? And he asked the question again. And as soon as he asked the question again, I bolted as fast as I could. And not only did I bolt, I screamed the top of my lungs, the loudest scream I think I've ever screamed, is that a word? Ever screamed to this day. And it was so loud, it, it took my mom to look outside the window. And so she looks outside the window. I'm running. This guy's chasing me. We're running down the hill. There's the hole. I run through it. He stops because he's like, oh, crap, I can't catch her. And my mom comes out of the house because she hears me running. She sees the guy. He takes off, goes running. We call the cops, never gets caught. Well, that changed my life because it was like, man, there, there really are bad people out there. And what could have happened to me? And I thought of Adam. And then, you know, that's when I think I started getting hooked on the whole John Walsh thing and like his poor son and da, 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 da. Well, fast forward, waking up, <laughs> you can start to find out this is all one big handshake. You got to start looking at who people hang out with. It's kind of like the episode I talked about last week where, um, you know, we want to think Billy Graham's a great guy, but why is he hanging out with all the pedophiles? And why is he accused of being one too? And, and same thing here. Like why is John Walsh tied into all these presidents that are known pedophiles, which I'm going to get into now with this case that just shook me. And it was called Johnny Gosh. So first time I heard about Johnny Gosh is a few years back. And it was, I heard a story about him being kidnapped and it was set up basically. And the kid that helped kidnap him worked with the government and he, his name was Paul Bellanushi, I want to say, or I'm probably saying his last name wrong. But anyways, he said, you know, he went to prison for ratting on the president, George Bush. If you look up George Bush uh, call boys or something, there was a whole newspaper article about it. Actually, there's more than just a whole newspaper article about this. It's called the Franklin cover up and it goes deep. And these kids, God have mercy on their souls. They just all came out thinking, you know, the, the justice system's going to help us. We've been horribly abused by these people who like everybody idolizes and worships. And you know what happened? The media turned on them. It made them the, the, the perpetrators and the poor, uh, perpetrators were now the victims. It's just, it's beyond. And so anyways, this Paul guy, he comes out and he contacts Johnny Gosh's mom. Her, her name is Noreen Gosh. And he says, you know what? I was there the day we kidnapped your son. I know what happened. Your husband was involved. Like all this stuff, right? So they meet. This whole thing comes, you know, comes about about this. And Noreen's been talking for years. And in fact, Noreen has met John Walsh, which I find interesting. And I hope that whole thing's not connected because... She said that she would get calls knowing, saying such and such kid's going to get kidnapped today. And she would call authorities and nothing would be done and the kid would get kidnapped. So this whole thing gets deep. And now we're fast forward in 2022 and 800,000 kids go missing a year. And like I said at the beginning of this, I had a dog go missing. I can't imagine a child. I can't freaking imagine a child. And I think the cases we see on the news are the cases that are set up for fear mongering to, to make us think there's some bait crazy bad guy out there going to steal our kids when no, this is a setup 
from our government, from CPS, from, I mean, this stuff goes deep into foster care. I talked about that with Marilyn Monroe. This stuff is crazy how deep it goes with our children. And the fact is, is I'm in a way I'm glad I saw the Adam show or case or what, whatever really happened with them. I guess we will never know until we know, but right now it is what it is. But why are, why do they want us to live in fear constantly? And why are they stealing our children? Have you ever thought about that? And what are they doing with them? And if you know about the underground tunnels and how deep this goes about the breeders, I mean, oh, you guys, this goes so deep that it's even hard to fathom. And I, I feel like it could fath- this could taper off into 18 different episodes just by, you know, Johnny Gosh. Oh, another kid that really caught my eye. I used to watch Dexter. I think it's on Showtime. And he looks exactly like a kid that was kidnapped. Let me find that kid's name. Hold on. Okay. So his name's Ethan. Ethan P-A-T-Z. Paz, maybe? And he it says on the morning of 1979, May 25th, six-year-old Ethan Paz walked two blocks from his home to his bus stop in Manhattan. It was his first time walking. Same thing with Johnny Gosh. It was his first time walking alone before school. And the last day his parents would ever see him. And if you look and Google up this kid, Ethan, E-T-A-N-P-A-T-Z, he looks exactly like the movie star Dexter. I am not kidding you. And if you've ever researched Johnny Gosh, which maybe a lot of you haven't, so let me tell you, Johnny Gosh was called out as an adult. So there was this guy who was asking George Bush Jr. a bunch of questions in a press conference one day. And everybody was like, why is this guy asking these like obvious um, scripted questions? And they start researching the guy and they're like, that guy is a cowboy. That guy looks like he could be Johnny Gosh as an adult. (laughs) Well, they even brought this guy on TV. I have an interview and I will play it actually instead of just tell you about it. Um, Where he denies and says, oh, poor Noreen. I'm not Johnny Gosh. Why would you have to put this on TV? Why would it not just be squashed? Like everything that's, you got to ask yourself questions, people. Hold on. Let me find the interview for you. Welcome back, everyone, to the Deedle and Daniel show. This is a story 20 years in, 23 years in the making. On our first show, we told you about a missing Iowa boy, Johnny Gosh. He was kidnapped back in 1982. His mother, Noreen, was here to tell her side of the story. You are obsessed with the story, I know. Today we have the man who may know what happened to little Johnny. Some claim that former White House reporter Jeff Gannon may actually be the missing boy. So right now, let's take a look back at how the story got started. Johnny Gosh vanished from his West Des Moines, Iowa neighborhood without a trace. The newspaper delivery boy was on his morning route when he disappeared. One theory, the boy was kidnapped, sexually abused, sold into a child sex slavery ring, and brainwashed by the CIA. Some claim Gosh was snatched for the Monarch Project, a government-sponsored mind and behavioral control program designed to create top-secret escorts. The story then picks up in 2005. The Internet was abuzz with word that former White House reporter Jeff Gannon may in fact be Johnny Gosh. The claim, based on similar body markings and a lack of information about Gannon's early years. 
We have looked into uh, some records that came from Pennsylvania where uh, Mr. Gannon slash Guckert supposedly went to high school. Um, we've looked at photographs, and, and some of them match, some of them don't. There's, uh, there's several photographs that, that look strikingly like Johnny Gosh, and there are, there are some that don't even look like him at all. In February, Gannon was exposed. His name, actually James Guckert, a man with no journalism experience whatsoever who had links to several gay escort services online. And joining us right now from Davie, Florida, the man at the center of the controversy. You're looking at him, former White House reporter Jeff Gannon, who watched our show and Bo's interview and wanted to come on and chat, and we appreciate that, sir. So, uh, Jeff, here's what Noreen Gosh said on our last show. Let's listen, and then I'm going to ask you to react. I do not know if Gannon is Johnny or not. Only a DNA test would provide that information conclusively. Jeff, one question for you. Let's get right to the point. Are you willing to take a DNA test and settle the controversy once and for all? Yes Absol or no? Absolutely, I would definitely take a DNA test, but that isn't even necessary because there's so much evidence to, uh, available to disprove these accusations. That's a yes, then. Well, you are well he's saying yes. My friend Jeff yes, is you know saying what? yes. As a lawyer, I can, I can, right. smell, I can smell a No, hit. no, 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 no. you so. got to understand something. My friend here, Jeff, who's come on our show today, didn't do anybody else's show, he's going to tell us the fact. Jeff, how old are you first off? I'm, I'm 48 years 48 old. 48 years old. My man Johnny Gashi there would be 35 years old. Lisa, Why are the you numbers, avoiding the question? No, no, no. no. He just said, he just said, hey, Jeff. You said you would take a DNA. I could set this whole thing up, but let's get to the point. Let's get to the point. The point is, by giving a DNA sample, they could be opening up some other avenues of things that I kind of know that you possibly could be involved, and I don't knock it. Again, if you want to go suck on a Johnny Pump or whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, you could do in this world. But the point is, Why all we're here for, speak, all we're here speak. for is to show that my friend Jeff is not Johnny Gush. Jeff? There are dozens of people who have known me most of my life that uh, could uh, definitely vouch for the fact that I am not this person. Look, what happened to this, this child and the, the suffering that his mother has endured is, is a tragedy. But it's also uh, been very difficult for, for me and my family, my real mother and, and, and members of my family, who have had to uh, listen to these uh, fabrications being spread uh, in newspapers, on television, and uh, on the internet. All right, so I'm going to ask you a question, not Bo. Jeff, are you willing to take a DNA test, yes or no? Yes uh, or no? Yes. When I cut my finger yesterday, there was plenty of DNA available. You should have stopped by. What else you want, Lisa? Are the you man? his lawyer? No, excuse me. Excuse me. He's my friend, my friend Jeff down here. Jeff, thank you for coming on the show again. You know what we're doing here? All this conspiracy stuff on the blogs, on all these internets, what we're doing is we're cutting to the chase now. Again, again... I don't understand why, you know, and you said it to me over the phone, and you said that you feel sorry for Noreen, uh, you feel sorry for her missing her son, and you wouldn't put her through if you were her son. You're and you said you're 40, in his mouth, he though. says he's Jeff, 40. let's hear from him. What did you think when you saw Noreen Gosh? Let him speak. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. I feel that, that this woman is being used by people who are trying to promote themselves as being investigators when they're not. They're fabricators. They're, uh, they've defamed me and put this woman through, uh, through unnecessary pain, uh, giving her hope where, where it, uh, it doesn't exist. Jeff, 
you tell them. And I'm going to tell you something right now, Jeff. If we, we want to shut everybody's mouths up, I'll arrange with you a little DNA, give me a little blood, a little survive, saliva, whatever you want to do, and then we'll get a little from Noreen, and we'll see, and we'll show them it doesn't match, and then everyone will keep their mouths shut and let you get on with your life. Because as far as I'm concerned, whatever you do in your life, if it's not a crime involved, whatever you want to be involved with, I don't really care. What I care about is people making up stories about other people and letting, making you live now on the edge of your life. Here's my question. Jeff, have you reached out to Noreen? What have you told her? I, I have not been in communication with this woman uh, because I can't uh, woman. determine whether some of the emails I'm getting are actually this woman or not. There, there are hundreds of people that are contacting me about this story. I have no idea who they are. Nameless, faceless people making wild accusations. Do you have a pen and paper? Because I can give you her phone number oh. right after the show. Bo, are you, you on know, a payroll? No, I'm not on a payroll. But when a guy is falsely accused, you got to stand up for, for innocent people. You're an attorney. You understand that, too. The man is going to give his DNA. The man is 48 years old. Johnny Gosh would be 35 years old. He looks 48 years old. I'm 54 years old. He looks 48 years old. Why can't the guy be telling the truth? How about we talk about Gannon Gate? Jeff. Are you on any type of payroll, White House, oh. Republican? Absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah, right. Never. Never. I have been in the past or, or now. Have, can you understand why people would think that you're not always telling the truth, your name isn't what you said it was, then the liberal blogs come out and say that there's a different story, you resign, not that there's anything wrong with it, but can you see that people may not know that you're telling the truth here? Well, I, I think uh, people who are listening to nameless, faceless people making accusations on the Internet, I'm sitting here in front of uh, your cameras today to, uh, to answer your questions. Where are these people? These people hide behind screen names mm -hmm. on the Internet. I'm here. I'm willing to give the evidence and tell my side of the story. Frankly, I haven't had the opportunity to tell my side of the story. Any time that I've made appearances, people have... Uh, uh, protested my appearance, tried to shout me down. I had to go six on one uh, two weeks ago right. at, at one event. Uh, it's it's my turn. Why don't people believe Jeff, me Jeff, as opposed to some of these your other friend people? Bo, your friend Bo Dita believes you. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today and clearing this thing up. My son Johnny was a very friendly, kind, upbeat, fun boy. He was so good-hearted and always wanted to help people. He loved having his paper out because that was going to give him the money to save for a dirt bike. Johnny Gosh disappeared September 5th, 1982. We had um, my older daughter and her fiancé to our home the night before for dinner. And Johnny said that he was going to get ready and go to bed because he wanted to be up early and get his paper out done. And then he said, I think I'm old enough to do the route myself. Because we always were with him when it was dark out there for Sunday morning. His dad always went with him. And I said, no. I said, the agreement was if you got to have a paper route, one of us would be with you on that early morning run because it's pitch dark out there and you're only 11 years old or you're only 12 years old and uh, he said but the other kids all go by themselves and I said that's because they're 16 some of them or some of them do it with a brother well then he said okay all right 
So he gave everybody a hug and then he went upstairs. But when he was out on the route the next morning, he did not come in and wake up his dad. He went by himself. Probably because he wanted to prove something. I don't know. But he went through our yard and the wagon that he was pulling, which he carried the Sunday papers in, it had a squeaky wheel and a neighbor looked at the clock and Johnny was going through his yard at 5.55. He came up the sidewalk on Ashworth Road and partway up to, he only had one block to go and the church on the corner is where they had the paper drop and all the paper boys picked up their bundles there. A man pulled up alongside Johnny on the street and he said, hey kid, where's such and such a street? And Johnny didn't stop to talk. The other boy, paper boy saw him and said, Johnny never stopped. He just kept walking. And the man made a U-turn in the middle of the street. And by the time Johnny got to the corner where his bundles of papers were, that man had pulled his car into right next to the curb. He opened up his passenger door and slid over and put his feet out on the curb. He kept asking the kids for directions. Johnny told Mike, the 16-year-old that was there folding his papers, that the man seemed weird. He had, the man was slurring his words, like maybe a speech impediment or maybe he was drunk. I don't know. So Johnny, at that point, became very nervous, and he said, I'm scared. He said, I'm going home. And he had our little dog with him. So Johnny started down the street, leaving Mike alone at the corner. The man got back in his car. He slid back in, shut the door, passenger door, and then started the engine. He then reached up and flicked the dome light three times. And then he sped away. The morning that Johnny was kidnapped and we discovered that he was gone, I called the police right away. It took about 45 minutes for them to arrive to our house. And we only lived 10 blocks from the police department. And in the meantime, while I was waiting, I called the district manager for the newspaper and got the location and contact information for all of the paper boys that were at the corner that morning. And there was also one adult that came to the corner. It was an attorney that was picking up his son's papers. So he saw the man and the license plate as well. So I had all of that information and I had already talked to the families of the boys that were there that morning. I heard all about the man, the car, what he did, turning around in the middle of the street, then chasing away, and then the man on foot following Johnny. Well, that spelled kidnapping to me. Finally, the police officer came, and we filled out a missing persons report. So I told him what the witnesses had told me, and he said, yeah, well, when did, how many more times have you, had your son run away? I said, my son never ran away, not once, not today either. Didn't you hear what I said? There's foul play here. And he said, I'll go check with the other families. Well, a while later I get a call from 
one of the other mothers. And she said, that cop that came over here never even brought in a tablet, a notebook, or a piece of paper to write down anything my son told him that he saw that morning that led to your boy being taken. The witnesses all knew it was a kidnapping. The attorney knew. He tried to tell the police chief. And the police chief ruled that Johnny was a runaway. Therefore, they wouldn't look because nobody looked for runaways back then. The kidnapping of Johnny Gosh, because of the particular timing, because of the issues with it, with the police and the FBI, and because they waited so long, led to Johnny's case not only changing legislation because I wrote it and got it passed, but secondly, people took another look at this crime and thought, oh my word, those poor people. What are they doing? They had to hire people to look for their son? Society changed totally in the fact that they were looking more for closure. Yeah, we always hear about these cases way over there where a boy or a girl are missing. But when it starts to happen in your neighborhoods that are just peaceful and the parents get that kind of reaction from law enforcement, it struck a, a nerve with other parents. They didn't want to be us. The anniversary, uh, 40th anniversary of Johnny's kidnapping is coming up real soon, September 5th. What goes through my mind, and it is daily right now, is how far we've come as a nation, as far as protecting children. However, human trafficking is still raging. It generates as much money every year as drug sales. Now that's saying something. If Johnny would possibly hear or see this uh, interview, what I would say to him is, I love you so much. And I am so sorry that this happened in your life. But if you have survived this and have grown to be a man, I am doubly proud of you because you had the odds against you throughout all of this. And you did it. You did it. And I'm still here. I move around a little bit. I'm not, you know, I still live in Des Moines, but you can find me, contact me. And let me know if you're okay. I love you, son. Again, that is Noreen Gosh. That is Johnny Gosh's mom. And her testimony and story is just incredible. I've listened to every single one I could find. The next case and the final case I want to talk to you about kind of ties the beginning, John Walsh, into the end and how deep this really goes. And this case is about Jonah Reef, R. E-I-F, I believe, is how it's spelt. I have so much to say about this case, and it is such a convoluted, deep case to get into. So I've pulled some clips from Jonah's mom. Her name's Tammy, to explain a little bit of his kidnapping. He was kidnapped three times illegally using our court system by a person who wasn't even his biological parent. It's deep, you guys, and it's insane. And they, what they did to him and what they still are doing to him needs to stop. And the reason it's being done is because he's a bloodline. 
And if you don't know or understand bloodlines, we'll probably have to do a podcast about that too. But I will let the mother explain it instead of me. So let's hear from Tammy Reef right now. Welcome to Right On Radio, and thank you so much for joining your story. I will put the link in the description box below. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Getting Jonah's story. Yeah, so why don't we just kind of start at the beginning of how how your life got turned upside down and, and all of this happened. Um, yes. So this is, uh, before I start in with all of that, I want to I let our audience know that um, this is a very, this is a very voluminous, convoluted uh, case, uh, I, and I don't want to take away from any others that are going through this because I will tell you that they too will will have a story that'll be similar, that'll be very convoluted about how they take children through our governments, our government courts, and they traffic them. Uh, so I'm going to try to do my best to give it a, a nutshell approach to how how this happened to us and what happened to us. Um, wh- while I go into that, these kind of cases, I have a something called a hierarchy case that is technically speaking in our, even our government people, our government high-level federal officials call this a bloodline case. So this is not like a, just a, uh, a terminology that's used only used by survivors. I want to let your audience know that this is something that even officials in literally the highest levels, this is the terminology they use themselves, that this is a bloodline case. So Jonah was born uh, December 18th, 2007. I'd like to state that uh, prior to his birth, I had four letters that came from uh, an organization that people think is mythical, uh, that is absolutely alive and well and functioning. And this organization is called the Illuminati. Um, People know them as different secret societies that are all rolled up into one. So I had four letters between July 2007 and October of 2007 um, that were basically, these letters were 10 to 14 pages long. They knew everything about me, mentioned that they had uh, watched me my whole life. They uh, maybe had even been at restaurants or places that I had been sitting behind me. Uh, maybe I've even met some of them as I excited to work in the film industry. I was an art director for many, many years in Hollywood. So prior to my son's birth. So there, again, you have that Hollywood connection as well. So fast forward to Jonah's birth. Of course, I um, did not did not succumb to these letters asking me to join them. I'm asking, these were Air France. They were sent from out of the country. Okay, so just so you know, I have cut you know, parts of this interview because this interview is like an hour and a half and I'm just, I'm playing at parts that I think will tie everything together and will also help you understand Jonah's case. So to get all the information, definitely click on the description box below on right. This is right on radio. His show is awesome. I highly recommend following his program wherever you can follow it. Rumble BitChute. I'm on uh, BitChute right now, but again, I'll leave the link. Okay, so we're going to continue on and hear more of Tammy's story of how this all kind of ties together and how she, I mean, if you listened to the parts of Skip, she talks about how this goes even deeper into her family and how she's starting to learn more and more as time goes on. 
But now she's at a friend's house and, and she sees a letter on her friend's table. There was a fourth letter and the fourth letter was absolutely frightening. The fourth letter was absolutely threatening me um, that I wasn't, I wasn't uh, answering them. And to mind you, this is now October 2007. My son's just about to be born. Um, and uh, I have to say, that was, that was alarming. That was very, very frightening. So, so what happened after that? Um, I, I, you know, being in ministry at the time, I knew that, again, that that wasn't, that this, I knew I should, this is definitely something I needed not to do. This is definitely something that I just, I just knew that, like, just, that was, like, the Lord did not, this was not God. This has nothing to do with the God that I know, the, the God of heaven, <laughs> the God of, you know, uh, the God of Isaac, Isaac, you know, the God of Jacob, the God of Benjamin. This is this is definitely this is definitely not not uh, not the Lord. So when you didn't respond that fourth time, between that and what happened after that with with the birth of Jonah. At that point, um, nothing happened at, uh, right away. Actually, um, it wasn't it wasn't until maybe. Um, you know, uh, a year later that I had a friend of mine that was, that was pretty high level in the film industry who had a similar letter. Um, and she too was from a, a connecting line. She was a, a Medina connected to the Machados. So they were the, they come down from the Kings of Leon and Castile on the Portuguese Spanish side from the Machados. And their name derives originally from a Hebrew name called the Maccabees. So, um, who went to the Azor Islands. So when I sat down with her, I noticed she had a letter on the table. And I asked her, I said, I said, oh my gosh, where did you, where did this letter come from? Who is this? And she's, and she said, Tammy, this is the Illuminati. You don't know? And I said, well, I got four of these. I did not know at the time where they came from. I did not know that. She had to, she had to teach me and fill me in at the time. And of course we both worked in the film industry. And I said, are these people in the film industry? Are they, are they from the film industry? And she said, no, 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 this is much higher than that. And she said, I mean, we probably got them because we are, you know, we've been groomed in the film industry. I was groomed to be, I was supposed to be become an, a director after being an art director and a prop master. So uh, she kind of basically filled me in at that point. Like what, who this is, this is much higher than that. And that was, at that time, I thought, I, I really did not know that they were a real organization at that time, and that was in 2008. Oh, they're very real, and they've yes, been around they for centuries. Yes. So, okay, now, so Jonah is born, and how, how long do you have Jonah before the first kidnapping? Um, Jonah, uh, I was, there was an attempt to kidnap him. They started this case, because I had moved to the state of Alabama when Jonah was three months old. And, and I moved there because uh, my, the, the grandparents, my parents, lived in Alabama. They still do. And they moved there when I was like 25. So they had been there for a really long time. Um, they lived in the tri-state area of Georgia, on the, right on the, on the cusp of Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee. And that's important because it goes to case sub, like jurisdictional matters is why it matters so they had a p.o box uh on right across just literally like a mile away they lived in you know, they had their p.o box in georgia in rising pond georgia so matter of fact their our banking our going to the grocery stores everything was in 
rising fun in Trenton, Georgia. If you want to go to the mall, you had to go to Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I moved back there to be near my folks. I also had a, a personal private business that I had besides working in the film industry called Heavenly Perks. It was a coffee business. Um, so we moved everything lock, stock, and barrel there when I, my son was three months old. So at that point, we, everything was, you know, kind of was uh, safe at that point in time. It wasn't until Jonah was 14 months old that they did an attempt to do legal kidnapping over state lines. And I will go into what that means, what legal kidnapping means in, in about a minute. Well, and over said, state lines also makes it more federal, right? It does. It does. So they attempted to kidnap him at that time my, when my son was 14 months old. That was February of 2009. We had a judge in Alabama that quote-unquote said, this woman's being strong-armed. So he actually protected us, knew that he had something called subject matter jurisdiction. They used a man that I had briefly dated. Um, however, he's not the father of my son. So these people are paper wizards. Um, they are people that... Uh, Again, are, are a group. You have a group of people that move in a ring that are moving literally connected like a spider web of officials. And you have a hierarchy in this too that are connected literally from state to state. There isn't, you can't unturn one rock and not find one of these people connected. So they have people wherever they need them. I, I kid you not to, to get done whatever they need to do to, to utilize them. A lot of them are going to be Freemasons that they can call up at the drop of a hat to do them a favor. And since they took an oath and they've been initiated into different levels of Freemason, these people have to end up succumbing to them or they will blackmail them or they pay them off um, or they use some other types of threat of death or other, other, other means to get done what they need to be done. So when you said the first kidnapping was it was attempted, uh, was it through the legal system, through Child Protection Services, or did someone literally pull up in a van and try to snatch Jonah? No, um, the the first attempt was to basically strong army. They actually now, allegedly they claimed they did have some kind of uh, special victims unit or something that came over state lines that were waiting in the wings and they were gonna do a snatch and grab is what they were gonna do. I did not know that at the time, but what they tried to do is they tried to uh, file papers. They filed papers in a secret court. So they judge shopped. They had somebody that was already working with them. Her name was Judge Eugenia Irabiti. And what they did was they filed papers in a secret court. They, unbeknownst to me, they filed papers that I was actually the wife of this man named Brian Sullivan. And what they did was they all colluded together. Their boss, the administrative judge who was overseeing this, back in 2009 was a judge named Kenneth K. So, a Japanese man. So he was overseeing this secretly. So they filed this in a family court. I'm not a family case. So I'm a, I would be called a juvenile paternity case. So I'm not a family matter. That's very important too to understand and for people that are trying to understand what happened, they want to understand the legal system because see, they too have a code system. They have a system that's set up not only like with a with symbols that say, okay, this case gets filed here. That's why you have, you have district courts, you, you have juvenile courts, you have, uh, you have circuit courts, you have traffic courts, right? You also have criminal courts. These are called, these are symbols that they'll put in each different, so people know where the cases have to get filed. 
But you see, in my case, we had a man that was a Colorado proven resident. So that meant his residence was in Colorado. He had he had property he owns all over California. He had property he owns all over the United States in different areas. That doesn't mean that he resides. His actual habitual residency was California. So he couldn't file there either. They could, and what they did was they made it look like I was still a resident of the state of California when I was no longer. This was, gosh, let's see, into, we're talking, I mean, into the next year. You have to, if I could see if it was right then and there in the three months that my son was born. I mean, I'm sorry, I, when I left, Alabama, left Alabama, I could see if they did it then, but they didn't. They filed it. Imagine it's March of 2008 we moved to Alabama. You have to have a six-month period of time where you're where you show residency which I had done lock stock and barrel where by the time they sorry let me interrupt you there for a second just so we can make sure the audience understands so so what you're telling me is is you you left California and you had residency now in Alabama and that's right. where you had Jonah um, you had this individual you had dated in the past um, who was currently at the time a resident of Colorado. And this person, basically you were just living normal life and then you got a summons to family court to appear with this guy and he was fighting for custody of your son? Is that what you're saying? Correct, correct. So, and they made it look like you're married. Which I didn't know that at the time. So, And they made it look like, see... See, under the under the marriage laws, which is this is remind everybody, this is called a methodology. So if they can marry into a, a person that is used as a breeder, then see under the under state and local federal laws, most of the times you don't have to prove paternity because you're married to that person. So that's what they were doing. Unbeknownst to me at the time. They bypassed him having to take any paternity tests. Because even though you didn't see it on the paperwork, on his end, he was filing in family divorce court. Divorce court. That's correct. He was. He filed in. Okay. It literally. It's. It's the symbols. I just didn't know at the time. Were the handler basically the handler kidnapping your child was gaining custody of your son through divorce court. Correct. That's right. I mean, even the symbols in on the case DN stand for divorce. I did not know that at the time. But again, remember, they're going to they, they target people who are vulnerable, who don't have any background, don't who would never have any law background at all. They know that they are oblivious. So again, you're, you're when you go into legalities, what they did when they went over state lines, they went they went they tried to go in ten months later. That you can't, where 10 months later, I mean, I've, I've established jurisdiction in another state, lock, stock, and barrel, hands down, absolutely, legitimately. So, again, I, my point was I was, in a, I was no longer a resident of California either, as well as the handler they used. He literally couldn't file anything in that state. So, but again, they did it. They did it through divorce court, which is called a methodology so that they could gain access and control and take the child is how they did it through illegal kidnapping where you're not noticed they just file things on an ex parte which are emergency hearings they should only be used for emergencies so to go on with what you asked earlier 
three kidnappings. Let's go into that a little bit more. So the attempt, as I mentioned, you didn't work. We had a judge in Alabama that protected us. And he protected us for literally almost like almost two and a half, almost three years. So to understand to, for the audience, any legal people out there, they're going to know that the state of Alabama had something called subject matter jurisdiction. And even the judge in Alabama had literally laid down the law. Hey, I have jurisdiction here. I have subject matter jurisdiction. And we have two people that can't, that should that literally can't file in your, can't file anything in your state because neither one is a resident. So that goes into another arm of something called legal kidnapping. So what they do in the first kidnapping of, of my son, they do an abduction. The judge in, in California, basically she railroads the judge in Alabama and pretends like everything he's saying doesn't as if it doesn't exist, as if that it doesn't matter. She violates federal law. And what she does is she violates the law to enforce the law is what she does. She's still basically moving along as if nothing she's doing is federally illegal, which it was. It was federal kidnapping. He, so the, the, the California judge has this, this Brian Sullivan handler pick up Jonah and he disappears for six straight days. So when I was pick him up from your house or from they, else? No, they forced us into the state from Alabama into California, and they literally forced him to a to some random location where they literally this there's a transgender man. His name is Dennis Nolan. Surprise! Who go, huh? At the time went by Denise Glazer. So there was two different people who played Denise Glazer also. So the He's first one, who was younger, who has also played a person by the name of Sarah Francis, who we now know as Jacqueline Sutton, so who's a dual citizen of Australia and the United States. The handler, by the way, Brian Sullivan, is a dual citizen between Australia and the, New and the United States. They, all, they both work for the intelligence services CIA. So these guys were CIA handlers in a ring of traffickers that are trafficking children with the CIA. So these guys show up and take my child, and I'm forced, and I'm told if I don't, um, I'm, I'm, I'm being told that I will be uh, arrested. Um, I'm told I will, I'm going to take my child away permanently if I don't hand him over, and I don't know that I'm not supposed to do that. And I'm at the same time, I have a, I find out afterwards, I have a judge in Alabama that said, you better get back here or I can arrest you. So I'm, it was, it was the most in, uh, absurd you know, thing to go through and you don't know what is going, you don't know what to do when you have attorneys too, they're telling you you have to, you have to, you have to buy by both judges. But what's happening is the judge in Alabama was playing both sides, helping the people in California, Mr. Stephen Bussman. And so he was helping the people in California. He was being paid under the table is what was happening. So, but he'd still don't want to get in trouble by his judge, Judge Stephen Whitmire in Alabama. So at that point I get, I finally, my son was supposed to be back um, they were supposed to return him back to me too, and he doesn't come back. So I have to, I file an Amber alert and I, now I know this is even, and I, when I, I went to the, the courthouse, there's no order there. There's no nothing. I mean, there's no order. Like they said, this was a, this was all complete fraud upon the court. So when I find out that this is, I know it's illegal, but now there's no order. And I have people that are some advocates that step in and I'll get into who those people are later on down the road they're like no 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 this is illegal kidnapping this is this is strong arming by force 
So, and I know it's illegal, but I, I didn't know what to do. So now these people are worried, meaning the, the, tra the traffickers, the Sullivan people are all worried. I filed an Amber Alert. I've gone to Carlsbad Police Department, not knowing that they're in on it. And that he's filed papers that I'm, that he did a police report claiming I'm his wife and I took off this child and went to Alabama. I don't know any of that's happening. So that he's just getting his child back. But when I file an Amber Alert, there's no there's no order showing I should even be forced to California. Let me tell you, all of a sudden they decide to like quickly give the child back. He comes back. He's been through SRA. He's been absolutely, literally, he has been molested. He has been beaten. He's been completely uh, battered. Um, I ended up getting help over state lines, heading back to California in Arizona. I had the special victims unit help me here, and they came back with intentional child abuse. And they helped me file a case with DHR, which is CPS basically in Alabama, and sent paperwork there. So, so I ended up getting... Over six, over six days, this Brian Sullivan takes Jonah and not only exposes him to satanic rituals, but also they sexually molest Jonah and physically abuse him. How, how old was Jonah at that age? Jonah would have, would have been going on, um, he was 18 months. So um, into, sorry, actually yeah, 18 months. Um, he, um, I, I, pardon me, sorry, that was 22 months, but that was November of 2009. So correction. I highly, highly recommend you guys listen to this whole episode. I know I'm going a little longer than I normally do, but this is so important and this needs to get out any possible way because this kid, as far as I know, is not back with his mother. And I mean, I have to do a little more research on that, but I'm pretty sure they still have him. And the sad thing about, about all of this is it ties in to our supposed fake vice president right now, Kamala Harris. It's insane. And I'm, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth and I don't want to accuse somebody without the evidence. So I am going to just play her testimony and she will tell you how this evil woman is involved with trafficking children. And what's crazy, if you go back through this episode, it's not just her. It's the Bushes. It, this is Obama's. It's everybody, you guys. It's all these people. And I, that I... I digress when I say I really feel like Trump is not included in this game because he didn't drink. He didn't have the ability to be blackmailed. I don't think he did any of this stuff. He always talked about taking these people out, always. And why do you think they have been so bent on taking him out instead? It's it's obvious, in my opinion. But they say opinions are like the A word and everyone has one, so... <sighs> Anyways, okay, so Jonah has now been kidnapped for the second time. They took him from CPS in North Carolina, and they have taken him to California. North Carolina CPS uh, intervened and made sure that this happened. He's basically paid off. I will start here. This legal kidnapping, this is now international kidnapping. At that point, they literally intercept Jonah, who arrives in New South Wales, Australia, on February, he leaves actually February 26th of the United States in 2013 after being kidnapped out of North Carolina in November 5th of 2012. He's taken to California before he leaves the United States and they do more legal kidnappings there on, with phony paperwork. 
And he ends so, up in. So he's testifying in North Carolina. Right. Next thing, he's on a plane to California. From California, they take him out of the country. Right. And, and also, let me make, make sure I mention this. I forgot to mention something. So in North Carolina, they tried to protect Jonah. The officials there did. And they had a hold on him not to leave the state of North Carolina. So, um, and they knew, I said, look, I'm not married to anybody. I've never been married in my life. So I'm not this guy's wife. And, I'm, and so they knew at that point that something, that this was, this, this was all fraud. Um, but they were up against their own people in their own system, too, that were helping is the problem. So what happens is Sullivan with a, um, pays off a guy named Johnny Trailer, a CPS guy in North Carolina, and they kidnapped Jonah straight from the foster care home where he was being held. So they literally, he slips through the cracks, and they get him back to California. The North Carolina officials tried to go to California to get him back. They get intercepted by, a, by the head of CPS in North Carolina, who's this alleged friend of mine, Gina Mish's uh, boss. And she basically hides her real identity. Her name is Lupita uh, Castro Zuninga. But she files her name as twisted around, Lupita Zuninga, sorry, Zuninga. Lupita, what was it, Castro is her real name, not Zuninga is what it is. That was her maiden name. So she thwarts them and says, no, 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 this, this mother's crazy. She actually, they changed her story. It says, no, 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 she actually lost custody at birth is what their story is with Carol Schneider of Carlsbad. And so they actually commit a federal crime and lie to officials across state lines now who are coming to get Jonah back. And they're lying to them, and, and they literally, at that point, have a meeting which gets intercepted saying, hey, we need to take Jonah underground personally and permanently. They do this with Judge Pollack, and he gets caught. We have the transcripts to prove that, saying, let's take Jonah underground permanently with the DA, Jill Lindbergh, and Carol Schneider are all involved in this with Sullivan, Dennis Nolan, and the Sandy Short are all together taking Jonah underground permanently on December 18, 2012. And then after that, he disappears, and they ha they're hiding him is what they do. And then he finally leaves the country on February 26, 2013, lands in Australia. And he's profiled the nude photos on Facebook on March 4th by this Sarah Francis, who we now know is a Sutton. Wow, there, there's just no words for. It. I mean, so it's, they're, they're they're bragging. Yes, yeah. yes, they're proud. They're you know, I'd like proud. you to go knowing a little bit more of the story because um, I think this is important for the audience to know. I mean, this went beyond our judicial system. Um, can you talk a little bit about? the high government officials in our own government who got involved um, in Jonah's situation and became part of this um, international trafficking of him. Yes. So what ends up happening is this is under the Obama administration, first and foremost, let me state that, with HRC. So this, I want you to understand, I, I'll never forget sitting at the Bureau of State Okay, not just the State Department, but the Bureau of State. And mind you, they were also battling another team um, inside the State Department, um, and they were called Children's Matters, that were aiding this ring in California. 
I was getting help out of. Yeah, they sure were. Um, and matter of fact, the woman had a, she had a, uh, an acronym, we call it an acronym, acronym name of, of uh, her name was Chandelin Spellers. And that means child handler, just like Rachel Chandler's name is child handlers, what it really means. It's a, it's a code. So she's helping them. And then I have a team on the children's issue side that's fighting for Jonah and I. And they're working with the Australian Federal Police at that time. And I'm working with the Bureau of State. I'm working with passports. And they are guiding me. There's no instructions that tells you. No parent gets, here's a rule book. This happens to you. Oh, yeah. You just do X, Y, and Z right here. No, no, no. I would have known to do any of these things if this, if the, if this team inside the State Department and Passport Police did not guide me. I would have never known to do anything I did. So again, and I even had an order from the Chief Justice out of the federal court in D.C. because they were talking to him, okay, in the beginning. So the officials, all the way up into the Secretary of State, as I'm sitting with the Bureau, we, we're trying to thwart 